welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs, as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Adaku Chando, who is doing a PhD in Environmental Studies under the supervision of Dr. Alison Gobel. Welcome to Gretchen, Adaku. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And uh, just going to put it in here. Last week, I happened to go to the Banri Foundation's Inspiring Women's 2023 event. And Adaku was one of the awardees that night. So congratulations on that. Thank you so very much. It was a bit of a surprise. And, and what did you think about getting such a, a nice award and nice recognition as well? Honestly, it felt so good. And uh, to have received it in front of my kids, that meant a million times more to me. So it was really nice being up there with, you know, it was such a lovely evening. Yeah. It was, it yeah. was indeed. And I think what's nice about that, I mean, those those of you in Kingston who don't know about the Banri Foundation, the Banri Centre itself is crucial to mature women here at Queen's who go back to school. And a lot of them have uh, their children with them as well. And I talk about this a lot and things. How do you balance having you know, doing your studies and looking after young children and staying sane along the way. And one of those ways is because of places like the Banri Centre. Sure, 100%. Because they are a bit of a home away from home. It's a a beautiful area, there's soup and there's opportunities to chat with other women. How did you find out about the Banri Centre when you first came? Yeah, so the newsletters and um, I also have friends, other women, uh, some of them immigrants as well mature women with kids, so they always talk about Banri Centre. I also have a friend who did the work-study program with the Banri Centre. Ah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, well, it's one of those little gems that we've got here on campus, and I'm I'm so glad people use it. And like I said, an amazing event last week. It was good to see, and uh, congratulations on that. Thank you, and thank you to the Banri Centre. Excellent. Now, I guess, I mean, we're here to talk about your research, and... With your research, you are looking at investigating urban communities' experiences, perceptions and knowledge in environmental management in Nigeria. I know in there you sort of talk about flooding and things like that, because I've seen you've written a few articles on about, you know, how things are with, with flooding. And as we know, flooding can be disastrous to urban and rural areas throughout the world. So why study urban flooding in Nigeria in particular? Because, for, first of all, I have a lived experience of flooding in an urban area in Nigeria. And uh, why rural areas are so susceptible to flooding in urban areas is much more devastating because of the concentration of human and economic activities. Right, right. And the modification of the landscapes as well, so make uh, flooding much more prominent in urban areas. So my lived experience, first of all, gravitated me towards studying flooding. Which 
it's probably a really good reason for why for going there. and that's a lot of reasons why people have passion behind certain things is their own experience whether it's personal or someone else that they've known or another area that they've been from so so that's great so you mentioned in the, the recent article in which you did for the conversation mm-hmm. that flooding is caused by a combination of two factors the first is socio-political an unplanned urbanisation, inadequate drainage systems and waste management and poor physical planning. And the second is changing climatic factors such as higher rainfall. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so now we know that climate change is real, is um, threatening, is a very big problem. So Mm -hmm. we've seen changes in weather patterns across the globe. But then, okay, these climatic factors can also cause disasters like flooding. But then there are also sociopolitical factors, and it's very, very important to identify which is more a threat for you to be able to channel responses. So in Nigeria specifically, yes, there are climatic factors. We are experiencing higher rainfalls in intensity, duration, yes. But then we see that the sociopolitical factors are the real problem. Mm -hmm. So if this area is looked into, yes, we have more rains, but we see that we can actually deal with this. And dealing with this, like in the sociopolitical aspect, dealing with this aspect, doesn't mean that we're not we're not going to, going to do anything to look into these climatic factors. You know, like right. the global action we all should take to mitigate uh, the climate threat to see if we can reverse this impending doom. That's you know. So even though some people don't believe, or if you look at the facts, if you look at the data, yes. this is a real problem. It is there. Yeah. So it's important to know which is which to distinguish what is actually causing this flooding we're experiencing in Nigeria. Why is it on the increase Mm -hmm. these days? It's something that is those non-believers of climate change and what it's doing and then the social political factors that people aren't listening to boggles my mind that they're so naive or blocking out uh, those sorts of things. So So how are you conducting your research on flooding in Nigeria. Can you first of all give us a bit of an overview of what you're, how you're trying to do it, and then let's get into some other questions. So I would say in the Nigerian environment, now we have um, a political system that is, um, I would say, corny, like they like to shake blame. So now oh. we know that, oh, climate change is a global problem. So you see these political so actors. So it's not their issue, it's, it's the oh, global. Oh, they say, yeah, like they now choose to neglect, this is where you are failing. And everybody says, oh, it's not only in Nigeria. Oh, they'll tell you flooding occurred in Canada, in America. But you're just like sweeping the problem like right. under the rug, you know? Right. So, yeah, so that's the situation in Nigeria. And that is why I felt it was very, very important to talk to people who are the co-face of planning, the people who experience this flooding. What do you think is causing this flooding? Right. Is it something that we all can act on or oh, it's just climate change? There is nothing we can do because it's climate change. Hmm. Have to go a bit further than that, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> so explain, you, you talked a bit there about, or sorry, you put forward about talking to people. Mm-hmm. Okay, is mm-hmm. that how you've done most of your research? Is actually talking to people on the ground and collecting their their voices to help you with your study? Yes, so that was how I collected the primary data of my research. But as you know, in every research, there has to be behind the scenes work. You have to look at other studies. You have to do right. a very in depth re- review of the literature. So this 
was done but then i collected my data by talking to people with lived experience and even living experience so an interesting thing i learned during the course of my study was that there's a difference between lived experience and living experience so lived mm -hmm. is when you have experienced something you know but you're no longer experienced but living is oh this continues to happen so the interesting right. thing was that most of the people i spoke with have lived and living experience is still they experience it many times a year it's still there it's with still them. there yeah so i also spoke to the experts you know who right. work in this field so what is the problem we have there what can be done so that was how i collected the primary data for my work when you talk about you know the socio-economic thing which is basically the government at the time mm -hmm. were you able to talk to government people as well because there's one thing talking to like you and me because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we're, we're like you said we're living or have lived mm. um i haven't thankfully but i know you said you have mm -hmm. what about those government people have did you get a chance to speak to them in an aspect, I would say yes. I spoke to government people because I spoke to people who work in the government, who work in government parastatals. But during the course of my talking with them, because they are also frustrated, they know the solutions. I right. found out that why there are government people, you could be the director of uh, maybe, let's say, flood uh, control in my, my Nigeria is made up of 36 states, so in River State. So my research right. was in River State. So you could be the DG, you could be the 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 head the person there but then you're incapacitated so in a way i spoke to government people i found out that the real government people are the politicians mm -hmm. you know the people who make these policies because in the ministries they'll have maybe say a commissioner so it's a commissioner who is in charge of actions even though you have these um, bureaucratic uh, heads right so in that aspect i think um it's also room for more research so we could actually talk to maybe the governors, like these political actors, yeah, talk to them. So that aspect was missing. Right. But I talked to government people in this, like working in the government ministries and all. That makes it very difficult, doesn't it, to change policy or anything like that. Or, you know, I'm sure there's some politicians or ministry people, as you said, are frustrated because they know here's a solution, but I'm not allowed to do it. Oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. hate that part. Nigeria was, was once under British rule. Yeah. How is the colonial influence linked to flooding being experienced in the city? So this was a very interesting finding. Like, you know how you go out to conduct research and you find gems here and there? Yes. Like, no way, no connection. You don't even, you never thought there was a connection. But then in this case, there was a connection of, um, with colonial history and the flooding we experienced in Nigeria. So Nigeria is a country of hundreds of distinct nations. So I'm not going to put a figure out there because there are conflicting figures. Right. But I would say more than 400. But I've also seen um, instances where it's written more than 600. So maybe we we'll have to like be more concise on the, on the data there. But this is just to give you an overview of how many distinct nations. Right. You know, and languages. So these were all different people, but then the colonial rule bettered Nigeria. So during the colonial era, that was when the capitalist system of land use we have today became introduced. But before right. then, all these nations had their own way of um, land management and land control. So they were right. kings, queens mm -hmm. in their own domains. <clears throat> so the colonial era changed that and we now have the modern day land use laws and everything. So to today, you still see, okay, maybe uh, in the States, the, the, the land is under the control of the governor or even all the land in the state. But then the people still control their land. So 
is not integrated. It's hard right. to tell, oh, this is the land of my grandparents. So what you see happening is, and you will know urban growth. For example, Nigeria is going to be the third most populous country by 2050. Mm. So the population is growing, the urban areas are expanding, and you see that a lot of land is being converted to like urban use development. Right, and right. then what people do, so now if the governments have a plan for an area, maybe there is a land use plan, master plan for this area, and the people see, oh, the governor, this, uh, they have this plan for this area. So what the people do is they go off and they, they sell their land because they don't want the government to uh, appropriate uh, uh, okay. or expropriate, I don't know, <laughs> their <laughs> lands. So what happens is they sell these lands and uh, there is no consideration for plans or, or is this a low-lying area? Is this So the number one thing becomes money. Right. So they sell it off and... Um, when the government finally comes around to do whatever it is they want to do, which in most cases they don't even, you see that the land use, the plan for that area has totally changed. And most times um, well, buildings are built on natural floodplain areas, mm -hmm. maybe that the master plan would have or may have, you know, uh, mapped out useful. So you see this... Um, you see, there's a conflict, conflict. with the color because these people still have control over their land. They can sell it as they wish, but then the governments, oh, they own it. But in real technical terms, the the how would I put it? Like the traditional owners do with their land, still do with their land what they wish. So this right. is a very. It yeah. does make it tricky, doesn't it? I mean, because on one side, when you look at traditional owners, and we've seen that in Canada, we've seen that in Australia, the traditional owners understand the landscape they understand how to man as you said how to manage the land through all sorts of climate change if you're putting out down crops how to rotate it etc if we need a bit of fire to help growth because sometimes fire is actually good it can help growth they know how to control it so it doesn't get out of hand and and they know how to not overuse land so move things around yeah, so it has a chance to uh -huh. regenerate and things so there's that side of it and, and then like you said you know on the other side here's these these political areas who are saying <clears throat> well first of all we need for instance more land because we want to in mm -hmm. increase our urban areas mm -hmm. first of all that means more people which means well how are you feeding those people if you're taking up the the land mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's one area but two again the land isn't capable of looking after all or stopping, for instance, the flooding, mm -hmm. if it's all, and I've seen this in, in Sydney back home, if it's all concrete and tarmac, when we get a bad rainfall, no infiltration. There's no, it, yeah. it can't soak into the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. what's it going to do? It's just going to build up and, and wash Cost things flooding. away. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a real conflict, isn't it? There. Of, yeah. yeah. And I can understand the original landowners saying, well, you're going to take it anyway. I may as well get as much as I can. Yeah. While I can. Yeah. So, it is a real conflict. Yeah, a big one. And the thing was, even in the past, land was not sold. Like, you don't right. sell No, land. you hung on to it, right? Yeah, I mean, you that's... Don't, like, and even if you are not a traditional, uh, that is not your, your... I don't know. In Nigeria, we have this system of, like, ancestral home. Right, So, yes. even if you're, like, um, a settler, you could also use the land. Like, they would give you access to the land. So, there was no monetary value. Right. So, now, today, we now have a monetary value attached to the land. So, even though these traditional people have a way, they've managed this land for years, yes. for centuries. Mm -hmm. So you see all that thrown to the wolves or to yes. the bush, I don't know, in favor of money because this is now the system we live in. So you see that all those traditional land care practices, you know, 
So, yeah. Well, there's two worries there. I mean, so the traditional owners are getting pushed further and further out, but also you're getting less and less land to feed the new population. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Plus, as you're working on, is the flooding. Yeah, Um, flooding that threatens to sweep everyone away. Well, exactly. (laughs) It's not what we want. So are there certain groups that are more impacted in in the flooding, you know, certain gender, certain socioeconomic um, groups of people. What were you finding there with the flooding that is going on? Because clearly it's happening more and more. Yeah, so the sad fact of life is that things don't happen equally to people. No. No, so that it doesn't happen equally. And you see that people with more resources, so even if things happen equally to maybe me and you, and you're a multi-millionaire and I'm, I'm poor, you have more, like... You have more cushion to absorb that that me that well, I can live on the top floor instead of on the ground floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so this flooding has a disproportionate impact. And one thing I did was um, in my study city, Port Harcourt. So there are former settlements and there are informal settlements. And we know that these informal settlements are prone to flooding because first of all they are built on marginal uh, flood plains. You know. Oh, so they've been built on a floodplain. That's not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. And they were built there in the first place because there was no they didn't have anywhere else to live so these were just like marginal abandoned nobody oh this is the when they reclaimed and they lived there and um so we see that yeah there's a disproportionate impact number one by the main fact that you live in this area mm-hmm. you know so there is and also these um things are changing anyway women are more impacted by flooding you know <laughs> Traditionally, I don't know, historically, women have always borne the brunt of whatever it is. So this was also the case in this research. So I found that people who lived in these areas, and besides, these areas are deemed illegal. So they live not not only under the threat of constant eviction, but flooding is like, mm, is every day and is very hard. Then with the women, hmm, was even more interesting. You know, in disaster situations, like these floods, I don't know. I don't know if people have experienced <laughs> flooding. <laughs> but it's, the way it comes, you could just be sleeping, the kind of flooding um, being experienced, um, the urban flood in Nigeria. You could just be sleeping, and in the morning, like your house is half filled with water. So it's, right. And you see that even in this area, in this situation where people are trying to, oh, what can I survey, or where, how can I even leave this place? Mm-hmm. You see that the onus is also on women, not only to take care of themselves, but to make sure everything is fine. And they, are, they most of them, in fact, they take it up like, oh, this is expected. Because I was speaking with one of the women, and she said, oh, as women, obviously, we have to. And this is a very right, learned, high-class <laughs> woman, obviously. And then you see the men say, oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you? You are supposed to have done this. Like... And with these women, some of them, when, when they are cleaning up and everything, you see, they say, oh, their men leave. Oh, they leave. Oh, I have to go and do something because, oh, you're the slave, you know. So it impacts them. Right, you know, not right. Only, um, they, not only do they bear a disproportionate burden of cleaning up or salvaging things, it also affects um, their economy. So some of these women, both those living in formal and informal settlements, um, some of them have to miss work. Right. You know, and some of right. them are just um, small-scale traders. So when you don't go for one week or two weeks, you see that the economic gap mm-hmm. becomes more um, 
wider, much wider. wider. Yeah, if you don't go for your business for this duration, but the men go uh, about their business, but you have to stay there. So, yeah, so I found that this uh, was the case even in this flooding situation. Even though one could argue, oh, well, it happens every day. But sometimes you think, oh, this is a disaster, yes. a disaster situation. Like, everybody should, you know, rally, to rally together. But you see that it's also very, very disproportionate so that makes it really difficult because you think as a family unit the men should be doing their part as well as the leader yeah you should lead in if everything that's what they're meant to be yes, yes. <laughs> so, so as he claimed so <laughs> yes that's really difficult isn't it yeah yeah is, and yeah. particularly if you've got children as well oh yeah with the children like oh it, it, the stories were really 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 i put out more of this in the bigger body of thesis and i'm also right. going to publish more on these um, experiences just for it to be out there because it's important to have this conversation it's easy to say oh like is this what talking about? Yes, it is what's mm-hmm. talking about. If we're talking about improving things, if you're talking about equality, we have to look at all these areas, you know. Some of them stay us in plain sight, but we may not realize because nobody talks about it. So until right. we speak up, share these experiences then. Well, it seems like the first part problem is the fact building on a floodplain. I mean, we see that in places down in in america and things that you know they build whole towns on floodplains or lower than sea level i mean clearly yeah if you're right on the sea and you're you're building below sea level you've got a pretty good chance you're going to get flooded at some stage yeah 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 true but i think the 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 nuance in this situation is like you know how seasides like uh, Mm -hmm. are coveted areas because of the view Yes. In this local, uh, in my research in your, situation, it was they had, this is the only place they, they can, had were allowed. nowhere, and mm-hmm. maybe these places were not even being managed or even looked after. And they said, "Oh, we can just live here." See? Yeah, yeah, very, very different. How did this work or promote, achieve inclusiveness and environmental justice? <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I know I, I talked about this a bit. It, it did because like I said in the study um, area there are former settlements and um, informal settlements I made a conscious choice because I'm very passionate about inclusiveness environmental right. justice you know I work with the school on that so yes I, and I see there are little ways we can achieve this in life even in the family units inclusiveness now these areas these informal settlements are known to be prone to flooding but no study has actually looked at. Right. How do you experience this? What are your experiences? So I made a mm-hmm. conscious choice. So even though they are at risk of eviction, they've always been at uh, at uh, risk of eviction. Most of them have been evicted, but they still come back. As right. of eviction or no eviction is important to hear your stories. So I made a very conscious choice to include this settlement. So my work is the first known work to have looked at these areas in terms of flooding. And also I made sure I gave women um, a big space in my work. So right. even though so one of my, my research questions was how how are gendered experiences or I don't even know how I worded it anyway, but <laughs> I looked at the gendered experiences. So I made a conscious choice to accord women uh, more voice because my work is kind of very big. It is but big. I, I made uh, a conscious choice to create a space for us to hear this story, even if it's not as in depth, because this aspect could be a research on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, so I made that conscious choice. So when you you say you made a conscious choice, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the voices you've heard from are from women, mm-hmm. but to be able to give the 
have did you also interview some men because you need to have an idea of what the men are saying yes. and quite frankly it's probably more like the the not necessarily the truth but you need to hear what the other side is saying too to be truly what's the word i'm looking inclusive in your research 100%. i mean yeah yeah because if you only do one side mm -hmm. then people will go well you're only hearing one side yeah 100% yeah so yeah. so like i said my research was with people with lived and living experience mm -hmm. so both men and women right. were part of my work so I spoke with men as well. And this was, was why I was able to see these nuances. Because when we were talking about experiences, some of the stories these women recounted, the men didn't even mention didn't it because it. it's not a problem to right, them. Yeah. Right. So the only thing is that I spoke with more women. But if you even look at it, I think I spoke with more men because I spoke with 18 experts. And out of those 18, only one was a woman. Uh, right, right, <laughs> with right, the experts, right. yeah? Yes. But then with the residents, I spoke with um, 21 women. Right. The interviews, the qualitative interviews, and 10 men. So I think 18, yeah, it's a, there's about kind a balance. A bit of a balance. But mm -hmm. with the residents, I spoke with more women. And the experts, I spoke with more men because there were very few women working in that area. So I just couldn't find right. any women right, to right. interview. Right. Yeah, so. well, that, well, that's good, though. And then, like you said, then further down the track, you can take up what you've already got and go in, into, into more on that. So what's next with these results? You, you know, you you talked again in one of your articles about collaborations, for example, with Ghana. Mm -hmm. um, um, this was more on collecting data and coming up with plans. Mm -hmm. Explain more on that. I mean, are you using what you've done and, and looking also at what Ghana has been doing? Because are you trying to formulate some sort of plan that governments and things at the on the day could be in, in putting in place? Yeah, so like the, the Ghana uh, work I did was, um, it was not part of this research no. anyway, but it was, it's still research. Mm -hmm. So I looked at um, West Africa. So we see that West, the flooding thing is very similar. Right. Like, because the colonial history makes a lot of things very, very similar. So the, in the land use uh, system, land administration, and then the informal settlement is also a big thing in Ghana, and they also mm -hmm. experience flooding. So from my research, I, I was thinking, because we have the same die framework that calls for collaboration in disaster risk management. So I was thinking, oh, how could right. countries come together? Because in Europe, you have um, a, a Europe flood uh, management system, not right. management anyway, policy, <laughs> and Euro European flood risk yeah. policy because it all we affects are, each other right oh, so, yeah, yeah. which makes so sense so i was thinking of oh like how could african yeah. countries uh, collaborate you know something similar because the local situation is also very 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 similar and i was thinking also in terms of cost because these are developing countries that need a lot of money so how could you save money so by working together we could also save money in research like we share the data what have what you've done what you've done and so we can also have extra money to channel in other areas that mm -hmm. also need attention so that was the idea That's in that the idea yeah, as a call a response to the call to the sendai framework that um, talks about collaboration and yeah so that was that which was which was fascinating to read all of that so i'm glad you glad you put that out there so is there an expectation that the current government will act on any sort of proposal, proposed planning or anything that you have discovered and recommend? I mean, so what are those next steps? I mean, it's great that you're doing this to highlight the here's some issues and here's some possibilities of making change. 
but do you think the current government, I mean, how are you going to get to the people who can make those changes and actually be able to act on them? Yeah, so that is the hope, that is the plan. Like, you, you do work over how many years you want this to impact policy. Mm-hmm. And this is something where you've heard from the people you govern. This is what they think, and they are so smart, so knowledgeable. Now, can you put these things into work? Yes. You know? So that is the hope. But And what I can do to ensure, I'll try my best to get the message across to them. And I can do that by writings, attending conferences, like right. advocacy. You know. So, But it's not as if uh, maybe they have a plan to, I don't know if they do, but I would love for them to have a plan. And yes. I'll do what I can to make sure they know about this. I publicize this as much as I can. Right. Yeah, so... And, and it is difficult, right, because we can all, and and I've seen this with a lot of our researchers, you can come up some, with incredible data to prove, one, there's an issue, so let's not just put it under the car, sweep it under the car. There mm-hmm. is, here is a, 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 real a, a, a real issue, mm-hmm. and here's some options to make change. And it must be quite frustrating as a researcher where you can do all this and you advocate for change and things. And But some of the governments who, who have the chance to make, make the change are not listening. Yeah, yeah, always a problem. It is always a problem, but you shouldn't give up because you've highlighted something crucial. And it's, and it's not... It's happening in Nigeria and it's happening in other countries. Yeah. So it would be great for Nigeria to say let's prove how we can make a difference and and change the scenario that's before us right now. Climate change is happening, whether we like it or not, it is happening. What can we help, what can we do to mitigate that change, what's happening with the climate, and at the same time, look after our population or our citizens? Yeah, and the thing is, even though at the onset of my research, I planned to publicize my work, you know, because this is years of work, years of blood. Yes. But then I'm even more driven by the fact that my respondents expressly ask me, oh, please ensure that this message gets to the government. And some of them say, oh, you know, we, the poor people, they don't listen to us. Ensure my work, uh, this work gets to the government. You know, maybe they will listen to you. Mm-hmm. And I... And this is despite at the onset of research, you know, how you give the uh, information sheet and explain everything. Yes. Especially what this work can and cannot do, you know. So they all know that, yes, you're doing this work, but it doesn't mean that this is directly going to lead to this. Mm-hmm. But they wanted more. So mm-hmm. you tell them this, but they also want. And when you have this, it's all, I laid it out in my in my thesis, in the positionality. I brought out some of these quotes where the people said, Please ensure this gets to the government. You know we've been suffering like like this. So they're wanting you to be the voice for them. Oh yeah, because they're like, not getting heard. And that but even maybe that. Me on another. Well, <laughs> well it's, it's, it puts a bit of pressure on you. Yeah. But it's also quite sad that there's the potential that government will listen to someone, for instance, who has a PhD, as to opposed to someone who is living the the situation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that is quite you know they're constituents they're not listening to constituents we're going to listen to someone who's an academic for I instance hope they do. well yes because if if you're because if they're not listening to constituents that's when we need other people to step up and and say so not an easy task adaku 
but you've clearly got the passion behind it and this research is one step of showing this is the problem this is what your constituent you know your citizens are saying here's a problem the problem's not going to go away unless we can try and do this this and this that will help the country as well as our citizens yeah flourish yeah continue to flourish yeah it would really really help because flooding flooding sets back developments you could Mm -hmm. how you could by decades you know so like you you can't ever we talk about the sustainable development goals you can't achieve any of those if you're having flooding every year mm-hmm. because if you look at the first goal of no poverty the second goal of zero hunger like you and you know these sdgs are all intersecting correct so flooding is one thing so mm-hmm. i feel if the government works on flooding if you try to reduce this mitigate this would be on um then it will closer. affect the other ones. Yeah, it will be closer mm-hmm. to achieving the SDG. I wouldn't even say the other ones because it affects all the all goals. Them. Yeah. Is it yes. um, hunger, uh, when it destroys farmlands, Correct. poverty, when you're experiencing this every year? Education, everything. Education, kids don't go to school. And you Correct. see these kids becoming disadvantaged into later years because mm-hmm. they've stopped school for how many years, you know? And there is nothing, no accommodation in the system to, or people who experience disaster yearly, how can we help them? So what kind of kids are you raising? Like, right. what kind of future leaders are you because they've missed the crucial years of education so it's a serious problem i never like to see kids missing out on education everyone should have a chance yeah and also with the women all of the oh my kids school my children they miss school because of this but none of the men talked about this and you wonder oh is this only women who care about the children's education i don't know why none because i asked the same questions right (laughs) right to say oh my kids you know it's almost like this being you know (laughs) There's a block there somewhere. <laughs> anyway, keep keep fighting the fight there. Um, and I understand you're going to be defending... First of June, yeah. First of June, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. So almost done. And, uh, you know, good luck with all of that. And I know you're just going to be just fine. And I really do appreciate you coming on the show today and explaining a little bit more about what's going on in Nigeria and you're part of trying to highlight some areas that they need to think about a bit more thank to make you. change. Thank you. Happy to be here. Like, I've always wanted to come on this show, and uh, thank God, like, <laughs> I'm finally here, yeah. Yeah, you are finally here, and I love it. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks. So that's it, everyone. A Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcasts. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.